Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Well, good morning, Mike. Good morning. So, uh, for this morning, I, I was I recall a memory at a previous company where, um, uh, I, I think it was it was during during the reign of Trump, and um, n- not that I was necessarily a Trump supporter, but uh, I just remember there being such strong opposition um, to Trump. And there was such uh, strong advocacy for women's rights, and um, uh, the topic of abortion came up. And I remember, I remember sitting in my workplace and feeling like, man, I I better keep my mouth shut when it comes to anything that has to do with my faith or anything leaning towards conservative values, or in particularly abortion. And uh, Fast forward, you know, we obviously have this uh, this potential Roe v. Wade decision and this this leak, which seems highly unusual uh, for the Supreme Court, but but that has happened. And uh, anyway, a, you know, I see as a believer, there's there's never been more room for politicization as uh, as we've talked about in the past than there seems to be now, um, both on the left and the right, and really turning this into a political thing. As a believer, how how does one sort through this mess, um, and how does one be faithful uh, in even just in in conversation? You know, uh, I, I think I still am very very hesitant to, hesitant to to speak up on certain topics that I know are just tinder and can blow up um, into this massive fire. Um, so yeah, as a, as a believer, one, I just how do I process kind of what's going on? How do I interpret? How do I how do I read the times here? Um, but then two, you know, as as I go about that, and I have and I converse. Obviously, there's there's risk on the religious side. Uh, as a believer, there's definitely risk in, in in viewing this as maybe something that's not making an idol of of the u.s and the politics but then also um just in conversing with others non-believers how do i be wise and how i go about that and uh yeah okay got for me (laughs) well and this always sounds uh lame when uh, a writer says, well, as I wrote in this morning's column. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's better than in the conversation when someone says, well, as I said earlier, and it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, years ago, I was reading some interview of some author who was on a book tour, and they made note that this author he said like 18 times well as i said in my book <laughs> but we, uh, we uh, at least i want to highlight that we touch on a few of these things um in this morning's column if it clapham commentary if it helps touch on a few the 
the first point that I make in that one is that, um, again, politicization is the idolatry of politics as the end all, because politics in itself, in and of itself, and I'm saying this to help Christians get some clarity here. Politics is where we get a word uh, like Annapolis city. It's citizenship. Uh, Augustine wrote that Christians are supposed to be the best of citizens. And in a politicized world, um, it, it's, it seems to be that a whole bunch of Christians on right and left are politicized. And it's what we see with Christian nationalism, um, Christian progressives, so on and so forth. So they have literally sort of bowed the knee to right and left in the hopes that get the right justices or get the right president or get the right senator or get the right yeah. Congress, so on and so forth. So that happens. And um, that has been growing and it should be alarming to Christians. And so if that's a, a place to start, we'll start there. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think that um, abortion um, has uh, thrown gas on this fire. And the Supreme Court did us no favors in 1973 when it decided to take the issue out of the hands of voters and the duly elected um, representatives and the democratic process, that is, of uh, state legislatures. Uh, uh, legislating laws by again elected representative officials and so on and so forth and it just simply swept away all the work that was being done regardless of which way it was trending by and there were nine unelected officials simply by fiat made law now that's important for christians to understand because our government, a representative democracy, was originally drawn by people who drew from scripture these ideas. And it's another topic for another day. Most Christians ought to at least be familiar with the legislative legislature makes laws, the executive branch executes on them, and the judiciary, a third political institution, judges the right or wrong of it, uh, whether it's lawful or not, rather. And, um, but they are, they have a certain distance from the other two, that's why they are unelected. Once the judiciary began to make law by fiat, you have a, what's called a usurpation of other branches of politics, mainly the legislative branch. They're usurping the powers of Congress. Which, you know, I'll be fair, uh, Congress has become almost inept or in, unable to make law. So I can see why people would say, forget Congress, let's go straight to the Supreme Court and make law. And sure. also you have the rise of what's called executive orders, where the executive branch says, forget Congress, we'll just simply make an executive order. Now those orders, the next administration can be reversed. Um, but at least it's, quote, you, quote, get things done. And... Um, now, all that being said, abortion has thrown fire or fuel on this fire in this regard. And, and Christians, again, ought to be clear, at least on this. 
that the scripture is unequivocal, unequivocal, unequivocally states that God forms from the moment of conception. So whether it's in a womb or a test tube, that's a human being. You have to do some sort of mental gymnastics to come up with something else. And here would be what we're going, Pat and I are going to spend a few moments to talk about. You can't do that without marring or wounding or defiling your conscience. And to terminate the life that is in the womb or test tube or wherever is what the Bible calls murder. When you have the Ten Commandments, it doesn't say the Hebrew word is not thou shalt not kill, because there are times when killing, when it is done under the authority of the state, say for example you're a police officer or you're in the military, murder is usurping the authority of not only God, but the lawful institutions and saying, I as an individual will choose for myself to take this life. That's called murder. You cannot murder without defiling your conscience. Let's pause and I'm sure that raises a few questions and then we'll go further. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, we've talked about this, this before, defiling the conscience, and um, I, I think it's it's a topic worth repeating because it, it uh, you, uh, your your take on conscience, your understanding of conscience is is pretty profound for me. So let's let's go there for a little bit. What do you mean? What do you mean by defiling the conscience? Yeah, and and by the way, so it's not my take. Um, sure, sure. Yeah. So we're we really are standing on the shoulders of giants here. Conscience is this unique um, capacity given only to human beings to judge the moral rightness or wrongness of an action. It is the, when a conscience is healthy, it is the unsummoned prick upon your heart is your conscience that uh, that's wrong, that's right, that's wrong, that's right. Conscience is the only way, it's the capacity that God gave to Adam and Eve because when he said, you're free to, man, have that in the garden. Just don't eat from the fruit of that tree. Knowledge of good and evil. You see, animals don't have that moral capacity. If they had set, you know, animals loose in the garden, first of all, they could have eaten of that and wouldn't do anything to them. And second, you have to train animals not to do certain things. Otherwise, they're just going to do certain things. They don't have moral capacity. We can impute upon them behaviors. But uh, we have that, they have that moral capacity. Otherwise, that would have meant, wouldn't have meant anything to be able to judge the rightness and wrongness of something. But it is such a powerful capacity because God also is a profoundly eternal, immortal being of what's called clear conscience. Conscience simply means, it's the, it's the Latin, with, con, science, knowledge. 
So when we've obviously we've already said this before, chili con carne is chili con with carne carnivorous meat. Chili with meat. In the same way, con with science, the Latin word knowledge, something comes with our knowledge of right and wrong. It is a capacity to go something inside of us, a voice to say, that's right, that's wrong, that's right, that's wrong. Now, if you violate that, you mar, you mute that voice. Not only that, if you go far enough, you flip that voice. And what I mean by that is the conscience, Paul said in Romans 2.15, it approves or judges and says, that's right. And it also condemns us on what's wrong. It judges, rather, a better word, judges. It judges that which we do is right, gives a thumbs up. And it judges, gives a thumbs down on what's wrong. You can get to a point where your conscience is so mangled, defiled, that it flips the equation. And you judge others as being the problem, and you judge the wrong you do as being right. You actually construct in your imagination, rationalize that you're right in what you're doing. Now that makes it a minefield to try to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, so how, not that I, maybe the answer is you don't, but how does one be be very cautious in how you talk about that if, if you were outside the context of just other people that you know automatically yeah. assume the same belief. Let's talk maybe not in the office setting. That's probably mm-hmm. not the wisest place. Yeah. But let's talk maybe even just a friendly friendly gathering where you have you have others of differing opinions. And I think to 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 model Christ, what you don't want is people storming out of that house going that you know, that jerk, that just whatever. <laughs> you know, so how do you how do you uh, how would you recommend if that subject were to come up, um, how would you recommend going about that conversation? How do you reframe that? Yeah, that's um, that's a that is the sixty-four million dollar question. Um, that's why they pay you the big bucks, Mike. That's why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> well, here is the challenge, and um, first of all. It's sort of like a judgment begins in the household of God. So let's at least help the household of faith. Sure. Get clear on what's going on here. <clears throat> the best on this, in my opinion, uh, listeners, uh, would be if you just meditate a bit on First Corinthians chapter 8. Here's a situation in the Corinthian church. Many of them had come out of the Temple of Diana up on the hill when they came to faith, which had temple prostitution and also uh, big orgies and feasts of animals sacrificed to idols. Now, a lot of times, the best parts of those cuts of meat were then uh, taken down to the center town uh, marketplace and were sold at discount. Now, Christians 
uh, in Corinth who hadn't had that background and hadn't defiled their conscience would go to the marketplace and get it, discount meat. It's good meat. The wounded conscience, the defiled conscience, the marred, mangled conscience of people who would come to faith. Because remember, Book of Hebrews says, when you come to faith, your conscience is redeemed, it's bought back, but that doesn't mean it's healed. You can be a wounded conscience Christian. And those Christians, in many ways, somehow it communicated to those healthy conscience Christians, you can't do that. You're wounding me. You're hurting me. They're doing what I call, they were taking them emotional hostage. When someone has taken you emotional hostage, they, in so many words or by so many body language, communicate to you, Pat, you talk about this, it's the end of our friendship. Sure, and... In- in in this case, we're talking. Uh, the example would be maybe someone within the church who is more open to to abortion. Is it really murder? Is it really, you know, is that is that what you're? Well, we're talking about that. Uh, on average, in America, one out of four women will have an abortion. Mm. Mm. Uh, these numbers pale compared to the former Soviet Union and Russia today, and China. When I was traveling in the USSR in 1988, I noticed it was just part of the official tourist guide. The average uh, Soviet woman had 67 abortions in her life as birth control. And uh, China, the numbers are staggering because of the one baby policy. Now, again, here's the point. You can't... um, your conscience is like a, 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 a tender fruit. You can't keep dropping it and smashing it and rubbing it. and it, you, you coarsen it. And when it's coarse, it's like a callus on your... On your um, when I play basketball, I had calluses on my feet. Why do you have calluses? It's the skin building up so you don't feel the pain of what you're doing to your feet. It's your skin. You, you know, workers outside, when I worked outside, get calluses on your hands. Why do you get callus? The callus is to protect your flesh from the the, uh, the irritation, the roughness of this. The uh, it, it will wound you otherwise. You have, so you have to build up a callus. If you murder, you callus your conscience. And if you if you if you don't deal with it, Someone coming along wanting to talk about it, it's like ripping the callus off. Hmm. Right. And there was a time in my life when we were first married, Kathy, and you know, the thickness of my calluses on my feet in one game I was in, I literally pivoted and a callus the size of a like a felt like a Brillo pad on my ripped off. Hmm. Twisted in the shoe, but it was ripped. I was out of the game. Mm. I couldn't even walk. Pat, this is a dynamic that I think Christians have uh, have forgotten. 
the great sin of the Old Testament, forgetfulness. And uh, there's been a lot of literature on this, that the word conscience disappeared from our vocabulary in the Western world and, and in the church uh, some 100 years ago. So we don't have any, we don't have any moral universe, a moral imaginary that we pull from to go, well, this is what's going on. Because once you've lost the sense that you cannot murder and act like everything is okay, or be like Voltaire, the famous atheist on his deathbed, who said, well, what about God? And he goes, he will forgive. That's his business. That's all he does. He just forgives. I have news for you. He forgives, but by his stripes we are healed. Paul's point to the Corinthian church was, you guys are walking around with wounded and defiled consciences and I do have a slight bone to pick with a whole bunch of churches I've been a part of in the past where we sing and rejoice that we're all wounded. We're all wounded. We're all wounded. Um, the point is to be healed. And a someone who who doesn't understand what they're doing to their conscience in abortion and does not come and repent and repudiate, confess, they're not healed. And I, I'm at a point in my life where I don't care if I sound like some kind of old fogey. Fact of the matter is, Paul was a murderer. But when he met Christ, he repented, repudiated, did a 180, and he said, I've lived my whole life with a clear conscience. That means when he was murdering, he just didn't know it was wrong. In his, in his religious zeal, he thought he was serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Jesus said, no. He went, you're right, I repent, I repudiate, I view that as atrociously wrong, I confess. David sleeps with Bathsheba, murders her husband, Nathan comes, he repents, he repudiates, he confesses, he is healed. I just happen to think, Pat, we're at a time and age, because abortion's been around. The early church was key, actually, in getting it dramatically reduced in the Roman Empire and made it illegal. So it's been around forever. But what early Christians were clear on, and Christians today aren't clear on, is, is murder, and it, it mangles your conscience. And if, once your conscience is mangled, You'll do all sorts of irrational things to avoid having a, a callus ripped off your heart. That would even include a leak. Because I don't know who did it and I don't know what their motivation is. It doesn't matter. It's irrational 
to do that and undermine our political institutions. But you lose sight of the big picture when you just go, for whatever reason, I'm going to leak this thing. Mm. That's ir- it's irrational. That's subverting everything about this great experiment here in self-governance to one single issue that you either you know, wanted uh, the law upheld or you want the law uh, struck down. Either way, you're, 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 you are completely upending everything that an experiment in self-governance is about. So I say in the same way for Christians, to be blithely unaware about what's going on in this issue is to upend everything the kingdom of the heavens is about. Because the last great enemy is death that was brought to the planet by the evil one that we are to pray protect us from the evil one who takes the greatest delight in murdering. So how, yeah, go with that a little bit more. So you're saying... um this is clearly a big issue we should be mindful of. That's what you're saying just now. For starters, just for basic starters, what what is a human life? When does it begin? Hmm. I find Christians aren't even clear on that. Right. And even Roe v. Wade said, we're not sure. And even Casey versus uh, the Casey in 92 said, reaffirmed, we're not sure. And it was Souter and others who wrote the mystery of human life is basically left up to one's own conception of really? Really? 350 million people on this, in this nation. It's up to each individual to determine when life begins and what defines life. Where is that in the constitution? So the inability to live with the mystery is what I, I wrote about in 2006. The only way to have some kind of sane, rational discussion with proponents or those who are just frankly clueless is to say the hunter's maxim. And even though I'm not a hunter, my friends who are hunters, the hunter's maxim is something moves in the woods and you're not sure what it is, you don't shoot. Yeah, in this case, it's the opposite. If you don't know, shoot. That's Or it's fine to shoot. That's right. It's it's legal to shoot. That's This is the... What's the best... What, another way to approach this is I find when esteemed evangelicals like James K. Smith and N.T. Wright feel the way forward for our faith in the Western world, Christianity, is in the writings of Ian McGilchrist. And we've talked a bit about his and his his huge book. uh, But his new one is called The Matter with Things. But the subtitle is Our, Our Delusions in the unmaking of the world. 
We want to ponder that for a moment. Yeah. Our delusions. And his point is, and he just goes deeper and deeper into the neurobiology, that those who bias the left hemisphere without the aid of what he calls the prophetic right hemisphere, by the way, listeners, Gilchrist makes no claim to be a Christian. Those who bias their left without the aid of the prophetic right hemisphere are delusional. So to my original question, which was how do we how do we read the times? I think you've you've answered that in a number of ways. Um, we have as a believer understanding this uh, defiled conscience and seeing seeing that where we are today, both outside of the church but in in the church as well. That's important to 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 sit in to maybe meditate on, to, to, to just accept. Um, we also talked about the, the leak and undermining, uh, our institution and under, undermining the, the institution of the Supreme court, but at the bigger on a larger scale, undermining this experiment in how we can, uh, as a people be Americans. I'm, I'm curious as well, uh, within within the church, we started talking about politicization. Mm-hmm. What are the the dangers um, of uh, what what can we be be blind to? Uh, the uh, The obvious here would be yes, abortion within the church. What else might we be blind to when it comes to this issue, particularly in regards to maybe politicization? Well, again. Um, Someone who's delusional doesn't mean that they don't attempt to sound rational. So rationalization is simply the um, largely non-conscious ways that we uh, justify uh, bad behavior or evil. And, you know, Pat, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting to a place in my life where I'm not, you know, the point is not I'm not irritated. That's not the point. The point is we don't, we don't talk in the categories God talks about anymore. He says, following me is blessing and not following me is curse. It's blessing and curse are the two big uh, uh, rhythms throughout the Bible. When's the last time you ever heard that? We hear about blessing, we don't hear about curse. Yeah. Curse is uh, when a friend of ours, when we were overseas for a summer uh, way back in 86 and made many friends and one was a young woman and she got married, and then a couple of years later, she uh, up and left her husband for the youth pr- pastor, and he left his family of four kids. And so this uh, young woman calls one day, and she wants to go over and visit with us. And so we said, sure. And she comes over, and uh, she's no, she's with us but a few hours. And I finally said to her, what is this? Because she was essentially saying, we're friends. I want everything to be just the way it was. We're not going to talk about it because you're my friend. So I finally said to her, I said, this is like you robbed a bank and the money's in the trunk of your car, but you want everything just to be just the way it was. She uh, stormed up to her bedroom. It was our bedroom, actually. She was staying at our house and tried to take us emotional hostage. 
feel bad for her, that we had hurt her feelings. And so she caught a flight and went back home. We're not clear, Pat, on that you can't commit murder and then want everybody to just ignore it. So I would say one thing that the family of God can do is get clear on confession. Confess, as we've talked about here before, is saying the same thing that God says about a situation. That's why David and Nathan, that's why David and Paul and others are called uh, people of good conscience or healthy or strong conscience in the Old Testament. It's not that he didn't murder, because they came clean. That's an important word there, clean. We have Christians who have never, they don't know what confession is. They know what defending, explaining, justifying is, but they don't know what confession is. That'd be a good start for many churches to return to deep, profound, cleansing confession. If we don't have, if the body of Christ or in the Western segment, um, we're undermining our moral authority to really have much of a voice in this when in fact we don't understand how we can be complicit. And there's, I know women who have gotten abortions and I know men who have prodded women and played a part in that. But I've also known that they confessed, repudiated, repented, and they came clean and they are not wounded today. They are healed. And because they're healed, they can go to that scar. It's not a scab. It's not a callus. It can be ripped up. It's a scar that's healthy, just like I have a scarred knee that is healthy. And they can go, I did that. And it was wrong. And I repented. And God forgave. And I was healed. And like Paul, I grieve over what I did, but I can grieve with hope. And I want to be a voice for returning to sanity. God giveth life and God taketh life was Job's lesson. We cannot play God without severe consequences. In a world of moral therapeutic deism, that's the gospel Christian Smith says is actually preached today. Consequences, never hear anything about that. It's all about grace. So maybe I pushed a woman into abortion, for example. You know, that might be an instance in some man's life because this isn't just a female issue. And he comes to faith and he never deals with it because it's all about grace. God forgives me but I, he's never gone before the people involved and God. So I'll close with this, Pat, from James. Confess your sins to, you know what it says next? One another. One another that you might be saved, healed. Healed.
Confess your sins to one another. So we confess our sins to God that we might be forgiven and healed. And then we confess our sins to one another. Mm -hmm. Abortion is never done. And at least in my experience, it's never done in the privacy of just one individual. Someone else is involved. Others, sometimes whole networks. And Paul went to his networks and he repented and he repudiated what he had done. He was clean. He was healed. The two high abortion, highest abortion rates that I'm familiar with have been, um, well, and we're not really familiar with some of the uh, closed countries, but in China and Russia, and in both places when I've been there, life is coarse. It's cheap. It is, as we're seeing now in Ukraine, Russian soldiers by the communications that we've been able to intercept, just drive around tanks saying, oh, look at the house, let's blow that house up. Let's, let's shoot this couple that's driving by this car. There's a little target practice. <laughs> My God, how could the little babies that we hold that break their first smiles looking into our faces. One day grew up to be 18 or 19 or 20 year olds who use human beings as target practice, who, who take and murder husbands, have actually taken bind husbands and family and repeatedly rape wives and then murder them all. You have to have a conscience that is so calloused over it doesn't feel a darn thing in terms of the morality of it. It only feels a sexual charge. That reduces us to the level of animals. And Christians ought to at least get clear on that. So that where it's become a divisive, polarizing issue that we can't talk about reasonably, we might one day lead the way if this returns to the states and the legislators to be a reasonable, loving, but unambiguously clear moral voice on what abortion actually is.